We, we've begun a, a, a series this summer on parables. I can get, my voice can get going. Ask, ask my wife. She calls it my professor voice. And so, because she would walk around the campus at Biola when we lived on the campus at Biola with the kids and they were like really young and they'd be like, dad's teaching somewhere because my voice would be coming out of a classroom somewhere. Okay, uh, but we've begun this summer series on parables and parables are, parables are stories with intent. And we've all known this before that every once in a while we'll get lectured on something. Has this ever happened to you? And you like turn off right? So this is why when you watch the news or you watch politicians, like politicians that talk about policy, like it's like right to sleep or defenses go up. But once somebody shares an anecdote, a story, the defenses come down, it's more relatable. And so Jesus, more than any other person in the ancient world, any other uh, recorded teacher in the ancient world, uses story to make his point, 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Synoptic Gospels is in the form of story. And so this summer, we're just kind of taking a look at the stories that Jesus told and what he's trying to do with them. And so stories have this way of disarming us. Um, and this idea of, of a personal story is always felt with more weight. And so Matthew 13 is where we're going to be today. And it tells a string of stories, a string of parables, seven parables. We're going to look at a couple of these later on in the summer, but today we're going to look at one in particular. And all seven of these parables are in the service of answering a question, and that is this. If God is the ruler of the universe, okay, if God is the king, if God is the president, right, if God is the ruler, the, the, the one in charge of all things, then what does, if he's the king, then what does his kingdom look like? And when we talk about a kingdom, we're talking about a place where one's effective will is done. That one's, that your own sensibilities or whoever's in charge, their sensibilities come out, their culture, their particular way of doing things, their priorities, they come to bear. And so the question is, if God is the king, then what are the priorities and sensibilities that are felt under his reign? In other words, what is God like? Not what is God like, but what does he like? What would he rather happen giving two options? What are God's preferences? What, are God, what is God like? What does he want to see happen in the life of his subjects? And these seven parables all address that question. If God is king, then what is his kingdom like? And today, we have one of those parables, the parable of the man who plants good seed, or maybe as it's been known more commonly, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so if you have your Bibles, however you're looking at God's word today, whether it's your paper, paper Bible or on your app or whatever you're using, once you find Matthew chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 24, but once you find that, if you would, in honor of God and his word, let's stand together as I read this. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Let's hear God's word. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came 
and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appear also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's go down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. So the question is, what does the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the sensibilities of God, the preferences of God have to do with weeds in a field. And so, as we, by the way, as we look at parables, most of the parables that we read, most of the stories that Jesus tells, he leaves open-ended. Like we looked the last couple weeks, we've looked at, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons, the parable of the compassionate father. And all of those parables are left open-ended at the end. Not all parables have an explanation attached to them. This is one of the parables that actually has an explanation. So what I'd like to do is walk through the parable and then walk through the explanation and see what it is that Jesus is trying to, take, to bring home about the nature of God's reign. All right, so let's look at 1324, the, the man who sows good seed. So he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in this case may be compared to a man who sowed good seed into his field. So we're going to have some pictures in just a second. Actually, we can put up the first one, Terry. Um, so this man, the man, and, and, and as we, uh, one of the things we need to do in, when we read a parable, we hear the parable, we have to ask ourselves about what sort of images would this bring up in the mind of those who heard it in the first century, because there's a little bit of a gulf. Probably none of us in here are wheat farmers. Probably none of us in here even know a wheat farmer. Anybody know a wheat farmer? I know a chicken farmer, okay, but, um, but not a wheat farmer. I don't know any, ag, I don't know, ag, we have some agricultural connections in here, and I appreciate that, okay? I see you. Uh, but most of us don't, real, we don't live in an agrarian society. We live in the suburbs. 
Many of us spend our days working more on a computer than we would in a field. And so, but in Jesus' day, agriculture would have been a staple that everybody would have participated in to one degree or another. And so this idea that you have a man, a head of a household, who plants one of his fields, and it says that he uses good seed, which in the parable is emphatic. Twice, the head of the household says, it was good seed that I used. Now, seed could be provided in a number of ways. Most often, seed would be provided from last year's crop. The previous year's crop, a certain amount of it would be set aside for seed, and then the other part of it would be used to grind up and to make into flour and to use for bread and other things like that. And so the other way you could seed or you could, uh, you could plant a field or you could get seed is you could go to market and you could purchase seed. And, so, and, and what we will find out is that in the ancient world, people who were um, uh, not so ethical might add weight to their seed that they sell in the market by adding either um, sand or adding uh, bad seed to it. And this might be something that Jesus is referring to here, but unethical grain salesmen would add weight by adding bad seeds. And this is actually where we get our phrase in our society of that person's a bad seed, right? So, and we talked last week about there's so many things in our society, phrases that come out of the Bible. The Bible has been pervasive in our culture, and we live in a culture, we're living in a, a post-Christian society where that, that influence is not being felt, but the markers in culture are still there. So, seed, uh, the, so the, the thing is, though, that the man is confident that he has planted good seed, probably because he provided his own seed. And this says something about the nature of the man, that he's a good man. So he knows that it is good seed. And so here we have behind me, we have what good healthy grain, healthy wheat looks like at the time of harvest. And you can see they're, they're pretty chunky. If you've ever seen wheat, it's, it's pretty chunky. And I'll show you another picture of wheat here in a bit. But look at verse 25. It says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. If you're reading this in the New American Standard, or if you're like King James is the man, then it says that the enemy sowed tares. Tares, every other translation now, NIV, ESV, um, they all say that it is, these are weeds, and that's essentially what they are. What is a tear or what is weeds? And we're going to put up another picture here of what a tear looks like. The word translated as weed or tear is the Greek word zizania, and it's believed to be what is commonly called today bearded darnel, or um, in North America it's called Persian darnel. And actually, Persian darnel is a big deal among wheat farmers in North America, particularly Canada. It's been a real nuisance over the years. And so, um, bearded darnel is what it's called. And it's mentioned only here in our, in our passage, but it's a species of ryegrass whose seeds are actually poisonous. Okay? So, there's a few... Although, I'll say this, okay, there are very few, if any, recorded cases of humans dying of consumption of this ryegrass, of darnel, of, of, this, of these seeds getting mixed in with wheat. What we do have is a lot of cases of people getting sick 
It gets people, you have nausea, it's kind of of a depressant, the, the, the toxic, the, these seeds are essentially toxic. So with humans, mixing grain would be a cause for sickness or illness. What's more significant is that if you feed this grain to animals, animals are much more likely to die if they eat mixed grain. If they eat, if this actually mixes together and an animal consumes this. There's actually stories of horses that have died because of eating mixed grain. It's toxic. It's poisonous. One of the things, there's a fungus that grows on this. Anyway, it's bad news, okay? And that's why his, that's why his, his, or it says that his enemy came. It doesn't say an enemy came. It's emphatic. It says his enemy came. That this man in the community has someone who's, who's a rival, and what we find out is that actually in the ancient world, that this, uh, this actual work is something that, it would, would, though it might not have been an everyday occurrence of somebody ruining someone's field, it was something that happened every so often, so often that Rome actually passed laws prohibiting it. And you only pass laws if it's a problem. And so you have this kind of industrial espionage and industrial sabotage that goes on among farmers. And the question is, why does the enemy do this? And if you're hearing this for the first time, now we might, we, we might think of a couple of reasons why an enemy might do this, um, but the enemy could be simply trying to be troublesome to the farmer because this is going to take time to sort out, okay? It, during harvest time, it's going to take more time to sort out. Maybe the enemy is trying to make his family sick, actually poison the humans and make them sick so that they're nauseous, actually do harm to his family or do harm to his livestock. But probably more than anything else, what the enemy is trying to do is to damage his reputation. Because he would be a man that every time somebody walked by his field, they would see wheat and weeds. And then the next time he takes his wheat into the marketplace to sell, people would wonder, well, is this good seed? And so his reputation, though he might be aiming at his family or he might be aiming at his livestock, it's very likely that he's aiming at his reputation. And the hearers of this parable are understanding that whatever happens with this man, the enemy has come to cast aspersion on this man to somehow hurt him in one way or another. So, all that to say, this is, this, is not a, this is not a crazy story. Some parables, you're like, that would never happen. Okay? Like the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, like that. That's going to be one that's like, it's way out there. It's kind of apocalyptic in that sense. This is one that is firmly grounded in the culture of the first century. This would have, these sorts of things would have happened. Now, what is interesting is that well, here, we, let's talk about this. Because in, in, one of the interesting things is, how do you deal with this? And what we find in the ancient world is there is no one way to deal with a lot of weeds in your field. There's actually a lot of different ideas, and that might be why Jesus tells a story. In the kingdom, how was God thinking about dealing with this? But let's talk first about Darnell. Um, verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. So the tricky thing about Darnell is that it's similar 
to wheat. Let's turn, go to the next one here. Oh yeah, there we go. It's, it's, uh, it's similar to wheat. Now, it's not similar in the, um, in the it's not, how, how do we say this? In its adult stages. So here's one picture of Darnell, and then here's a picture of wheat. Okay, you can see the wheat is much more robust. Actually, on the, on the right-hand side, there's a little wheat kernel in there, if you can see it. So you, got the, you, you have the, the, big, uh, the big stock, you get about maybe 30 of those little kernels in one of those. That's, that's the fold, the, uh, the, the take on, uh, uh, on uh, like when Jesus talks about five-fold, ten-fold, that's the, 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 the replication of that one seed. And that's what Jesus talks about, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it cannot break forth, and then a new stock come up and more wheat come from it. So that's, that's a stock image for Jesus there, and the, uh, and the seed then on the right. Now, in the adult mature stages, it's very, it, it, it's easy to tell them apart. But when they are young, in their very young stages, it's very difficult to tear the, tear, tell them apart. And this is what wheat would look like in its young stages. And so the enemy comes in while the field has been, has been plowed and, and, the, and the, the seeds have been thrown. And all of this starts to come up and it all looks the same. Only when they get to their adult stage do we actually see that you can tell a difference. And once you can start to tell the difference, because the wheat is much wider and the darnel is much skinnier, and actually, unfortunately, the darnel is much, it grows shorter, so it's harder to see too. And this is when we get into the sensibilities of the kingdom. So 1327, after it's grown up, after it has sprouted in verse 26, where it says, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. But in verse 27, the masters of the house, the servants of the masters of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? So the master of the house is confident that he sowed good seed. And he said, well, an enemy has done this. So somebody has come in and done their sabotage. So the servants say to him, essentially, they follow the impulse that we probably all follow on a good Saturday, you're looking out at your garden, and you see weeds, and what's your impulse? It's better to take those suckers out, or if you have, you know, you have a weed whacker, then you just whack the weeds, and then they go everywhere, right? Don't do that. You want to grab, look, you, as my dad told me, you want to wear gloves, right? Because the weeds that we have, they have little stickers on them, and you want to get them down close to the bottom, you want to pull them out by the roots, although that doesn't always happen, Right? Okay? But the impulse is, you got weeds, pull them out. Okay? And, and his servants are just like that. They're like, hey, well, wh- what do you want us to do? You want us to go get these weeds. You want us to pull them out. You want us to go gather them up in 1329. But he said, no. No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, not you guys, I'll tell the reapers, the people I hired to do the actual reaping, I'll tell them, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And this is where we we enter into Jesus' world. Because in Jesus' world, it's not like 
Everybody's got a garden out there and weeds come out and you can kind of laser attack the weeds. You've got these, this acreage of fields of wheat. And if you've, got, if you've got Darnell in the middle, how do you get to it? Well, you've got to walk through or over or on top of wheat to get there. And then once these grow up together, what we find is that, and this is the thing about the Persian Darnell, and the bearded Darnell is that the, the root system of these weeds is actually more robust than that of wheat. And so the, the, the root system of Darnell actually goes and interlaces among the roots of the wheat. So if you pull up mid-lifespan a, a piece of Darnell or a tear or a weed in the wheat field, you're actually going to be pulling up not just that, but also the other wheat that's around it. Now, in the ancient world, there wasn't one way to deal with this. Some people, some people would say, go get it, cut your losses, get it out because it's going to take up water and nutrients, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, in the kingdom, God, if God were farming here, he would take, especially in the, this analogy, maybe God wouldn't do it in, in actual reality, but in this analogy, he says, let them grow side by side. And his answer to them is that don't pull them out, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. So the desire to do weeding is strong, especially if you're, you're comfortable on a Saturday and maybe someone in your family is like, look at all those weeds. And you're like, okay, that's my cue. I've got to get up and do that. So the, 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 the desire is strong. Weeds are bad. Even you think about this, that this enemy of mine tried to do this to me. It's not just that these weeds are a nuisance. Somebody's trying to hurt me. I think my tendency would be, I need to immediately go and take care of that. And this is one of the things that Jesus is doing in telling this parable, telling this story, to get his hearers to, to feel these feelings. And it's much better, I would say this, it's much better, especially if you're growing something, if you ever go and you grow things, it's much better to get the weeds out early. Because they will use more water, they will use more nutrients that are meant for your plants. But in the kingdom of God, Walking over wheat to get to the weeds is not the way of the king. Pulling out a weed at the expense of the wheat is not the way of the king. So the command to his servants, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And then, and then it all works out that at the end, it's going to take a little bit more time. The harvesters will go through, they'll get the wheat, they'll get the weeds, they'll gather up all the weeds, they'll lay them down, they'll bundle them up. And then weeds were typically used for, uh, for fuel in the kitchen. In, in Israel, there's not a lot of trees, there's not a lot of wood, and so you would use grass, you would use weeds to fuel the fire to, for cooking and things like that, but you would use the grain, you would store the grain in a dry and safe spot, and you would use it as the year goes on. And so this is what the harvest is. So the question is this, what, what is Jesus trying to communicate 
with this parable? What's the story? And there's two, I think what I want to do today is I just want to kind of camp out on these before, because we're going we're gonna to have an opportunity to go to the Lord's Supper here at, at the end of the morning and, and reflect a little bit on what Jesus has done for us and really what in this parable, what is standing out to us. But what are the points in the parable? And there's two, and the, the explanation of the parable by Jesus really emphasizes this first point, but the parable itself emphasizes a second point. And that's this. The first point is this. There will be judgment. The kingdom of God is a place of discernment. Look at 1340. In 1340, it says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In the kingdom of God, and this is something I think in our, in our culture is not something that is communicated that often. As a matter of fact, this idea that there is a discernment between right and wrong, or better yet, I would just say this, even in our culture, there are better ways of doing things and there are worse ways of doing things. There are better ways of living and there are worse ways of living. And in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a place of discernment. The kingdom of God is where you could say, that's wheat and that's a weed. And if I let weeds grow in my life, right, that it, it could overtake. And there is, and essentially there is disorder, there is disruption, there is evil in our world. And the kingdom of God, I think one of the things about Jesus is, Jesus is not shy about saying, there are bad things out there, and people who are doing bad things are, are evil, they are bad. There's bad things that are happening. is a place where you can call that out and God will say there is a right and there is a wrong and let us not be confused the righteous and the wicked have different paths and that's something look that's something that perhaps we can get on board with I feel like in my life um, I can definitely get on board with that because I'm a pretty judgy guy I, I'm, the, I'm a really good judger and if you want me to judge I will judge I mean, if you want, if you're like, hey, do you, I need your opinion on something. I am very quick to an opinion. I'm very quick to a solution. I judge. I can judge, okay? Now, discerning is one thing, right? Discerning is knowing the difference between right and wrong. Judging is being effective in that, right? Where you actually, like, like judging is that's bad, that's wrong. Or, I'm sorry, discerning is that's bad, that's wrong. Judging is chopping it out, Okay? Now, I'm, I'm a good discerner and a judger, if I do say so myself. I'm very proficient, okay? And I'm, I'm probably alone in this because nobody else is like that. Nobody else really sees something and then just is really like, look, I have no, I have no space for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge that, right? And look, judgment is actually something that the kingdom says, yes, the kingdom of God is about has discernment and has judgment, Here's the problem. It's not for you. Judgment, the weeding, 
is not for the servants. The weeding is taken out of their hands and it's given to the reapers. And that brings us to the second point of our parable. I love the first point. I wish we could just hang out on the first point, right? Because I love judging. I love it. I love discerning. I'm very skilled at it. I feel good when I do it. It, has, it satisfies something really dark inside of me, right? When we just judge everybody and we look around and we're like, That's, he's an idiot. You know, she doesn't know what she's doing. Yes, we are skilled and we thrive. Well, we don't thrive, do we? We get a lot of energy from it, right? But we probably don't thrive in it. The first point is judgment. And that's really the explanation point. The explanation, the explanation is like, look, these are going to grow side by side, but one day there will be judgment. That brings us to the point of really the parable, which is this. In the kingdom of God, wheat and weeds will grow alongside each other, but you must be patient. You must be patient. The main and most prominent point is that judgment is to be delayed. Oh, it hurts, doesn't it? I mean, it does because my, my own sensibilities are so strong in this area. And I don't know where they come from, but they, they pro, what this is telling me is that my sensibilities about my own ability to judge should be questioned. Because in the parable, it's not for the other servants to do the judging, or even the other wheat to do the judging. It's left to the reapers and the head of the household. The wheat and the tares are to grow alongside each other in this age. And to put it in Jesus' terms, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's reign, God's sensibilities are at hand. God's characteristic way of governing, relating, his priorities and attitudes, they are at hand. But other kingdoms are still present on this earth. Other priorities, other ways of relating, other ways of living life are they live alongside kingdom, parallel kingdoms on this earth. One author puts it, that is the human condition. Persons other than God, such as you and me, are still allowed on earth to have a say contrary to his will. God's kingdom is at hand. It's here. And as we lean into that kingdom, as we, those sensibilities, your kingdom come, your will be done. When God's will is done, his kingdom is present. But God still allows kingdoms other than his own, persons other than himself, to have a say. That your effective will may be done, my effective will may be done, and it may or may not line up with his kingdom. And what do we do with that? 
A kingdom of darkness is here. And the kingdoms of many individuals who are about running their own show. And God permits this. Right beside and among the kingdoms that are not God's stands his kingdom. And God intends his people, for some reason or another, yes, to discern, but to not go about the instinctive work of weeding. To put it another way, the kingdom of God is not about aggressive weeding. It's about patience. It's about patient endurance. Dallas Willard illustrates this with Psalm 23. Think about some of these passages and some of these things that give us this tension of living in the kingdom of God is here, but other kingdoms exist alongside it. Think about Psalm 23. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death exists, and you are walking through it, but you do not fear why? Because you are with me. The evil is present. And the evil is present and to be feared, but I do not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even if God does not use just yet that rod and that staff, just knowing he has them is a comfort. Later in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's an interesting Thanksgiving dinner, right? <laughs> that happens, every, that happens every, every Thanksgiving, right? In some families, okay? But this idea that God sets a table and invites you, and even though your enemies, your rivals are present, you do not fear because you have sat down at the table that God has prepared for you. It is not absent of enemies, it is in the presence of enemies that God would honor in the presence of the evil. The wheat and the weeds even dine together. Weeding, I suppose this idea that enemies are present and looming, and yet there is a safety and confidence of a man or a woman who is a guest at the table of God. Weeding has not happened and will not happen until God's timing. What is our job until God does the work of the weeding? Discernment and patience. We can say what is right and what is wrong. That is discerning, that we can note that in our community, we can note that in our lives. But the idea of actually going out and aggressively weeding, weeding is to be delayed. And in terms of application, this to me is one of the more difficult applications. And it stands out to me the most because weeding is so instinctual. And as I said, that being... Uh, being discerning, being judging is something that might come very naturally to me, maybe to you. But the idea of prematurely separating these two is rejected. And why is patience necessary 
in the parable. And there's a couple of reasons why, why I think that in the parable that it, it hints at why, why this delay. Why are we told we can discern but don't weed? And I think maybe the first thing is this, that humans, for some reason, are inadequate to do the job. Humans are inadequate to do the job. Either the difference between the wheat and the weeds is not discernible. That's not the point of the parable. The, the, the servants, they can, they can discern what is the difference between a wheat and a tear. What is the difference between a wheat and a weed? Rather, and this is the reason why the man says you got to wait. In the act of pulling out the weeds, the wheat will be hurt. There will be casualties and collateral damage in a community that is going about aggressive weeding. The kingdom of God is not about aggressive weeding. And I would just say this, when the church, if you are a student of history, when the church has not heeded this advice in this parable, those have been some of the darkest days in the history of the church. When you, and they're, they're the most difficult to explain to, a, to someone who's coming to faith or someone who's thinking of coming to faith. You think about the Inquisition. Heresy trials resulting in executions. The Crusades. When the church takes up a sword to weed... Those are the darkest days of the church. Witch trials. Execution of judgment is to be delayed. Discerning evil, present evil is necessary, but effective judgment is to be delayed. You're like, well, what do we do then? I mean, how do I, how do I live? How do I live? I mean, turn on the news. How do I live when, like I had said before, we are living in a post-Christian society. All the markers of the influence of Christianity might still be present, but they become sarcasm or a byword, or they become satire. What do we do in a, in a community and in a world where the influence of Jesus in the church is on the way, is waning, it's on the, it's on the, it's on the ebb, it's going out. The tide seems to be going out for the church, at least in culture. And I want to say this, without offering an, an answer to that, I want you, if you feel that, if you feel that, and you're like, we need to, we need to do some weeding in this world, okay? You are not the first to feel that way. If you would, just really quickly in your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, if you don't want to turn, I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 6, 9. And if you're, if you're feeling like, what do we do? Like, how do we, how can I be this patient? The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And I'm going to read it. So if you don't want to turn there, okay, just listen. John is having this vision, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, they're in the throne room of God, and under the altar, the throne room of God, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. 
And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are people who are put to death because of their faith in Jesus. And you know what? Even in the presence of God, under the altar of God, what are they crying out? How long do we have to wait until you use your rod and your staff? It's comforting that you have them. When will you use them? And in 611, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Those who had lost their lives are told, be patient for a little longer. The crying out of the, this question, how long, that's going to be something with us. And you might be even be in a situation where you feel like you are surrounded by evil and you're asking, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Until you bring justice. And they're told, wait, patience. Martin Luther once said, those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. Aggressive weeding will get out the weeds. It'll get them out. But you will also take out the wheat as well. And in the kingdom of God, and I do not know why this is, in the kingdom of God, God seems to love fully mature wheat more than he hates the weeds. God seems to have great joy in fully mature and beautiful and bountiful wheat, fruit. God loves fruit. And all those little seeds, that's fruit, that's the crop. The, the fruit of the Spirit is also the crop of the Spirit. People in the ancient world would have, when you think about what Paul says about the fruit of the Spirit, they would have thought more about a wheat harvest than they would about picking apples or something like that. The harvest of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And God seems to love the harvest more than he hates the weeds. Oh, he'll do what he wants to do with the weeds. But for some reason or another, he's like, whatever you do, don't damage the wheat. And I think we, even as a church, are in a, a time where we see a number of people disenchanted with the church. And as you talk with people who are maybe disenchanted with the church, it might be because the church, as they grew up, was really about aggressive weeding. Discernment turned into judgment too quickly. And the wheat has been damaged. And we're in a, I think we're in a time where we are, we're reaping some of that, where aggressive weeding has turned the wheat, some wheat off, and that people are on journeys as they deconstruct and reconstruct their faith. And look, I think, I think reconstructing your faith over time, that is a journey that takes place, and I'm in it to walk through with people the idea of reconstructing faith, even if you've been disillusioned with how the church has acted in the past. That's a... Look, disillusionment will come, 
but God loves the wheat. He wants to see his wheat thrive, and he loves it more than he hates the weeds. God's reign values discernment. Know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. I'm not saying that we can't call right, right, and wrong, wrong. That's not, I'm not saying that. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is that our job, I guess the best way to put this is, if you want to keep cattle, sheep, anything near, there's two ways you can do it. You can build a fence or you can sink a well. You build a fence, you keep people in artificially. That's that, that's that idea of excessive weeding. Put up fences all around. Keep people in artificially. Weed out, weed out, weed out, weed out. But if you sink a well, that's the, where life and water comes from. Nobody will stray far from life and water. But people will get upset about fences. Sink a well. Give people Give people the good, the gospel, the good news. There is joy in Jesus. Yes, there's discernment, but there is life, and God loves life more than he hates the weeds. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. And the way we do this is um, as we, I'm going to, in just a second, I'm going to invite you to come up and and grab um, the elements and go back to your seat. And then we're going to, and then patience, um, we sit and we eat together. We participate together. And this is, I would just say this, this is just the beginning of our Lord's Supper today because we're going to have a chance to go out and to have um, uh, and to barbecue together. And that's actually more like what the Lord's Supper would be like out there when we eat like do- burgers and dogs, like when we gather around a table. But this is a chance for us just individually just to do a little bit of taking stock of where we're at with Jesus, especially when we hear these parables and we ask the question, are, are my sensibilities lined up with the sensibilities of God? And in this case, Maybe, maybe you're like, look, I have been, I've been too lax in calling evil, evil. And maybe the sensibility of this parable is like, no, I need to be more discerning. I know that God is discerning. I know there's a difference between wheat and weeds, and I've been confusing those things. And maybe that's where you're at today, and that's okay, okay? Maybe this morning you want to say, no, I, I need to make, I need to commit, as I come to this table, I need to commit to saying, no, there are things in my life that are weeds, and I need to cut them out. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or maybe you are, maybe like the older brother in the parable we read last week, that you're more like, look, I know what's right and wrong, and where I'm at is I just want to, I want to hack out everything that is not, I just, I want machete, whatever it is. I, I just want to hack. And maybe today you need to embrace the sensibility of the kingdom of patience. And embrace the sensibility of the kingdom that this is not my job. If I'm upset, I need to take it to the Father. And maybe there's something that you, there's something in our world right now that just makes you angry, upsets you. As we come today, and as we reflect 
just give that to the Lord. And just, even if you want to cry out, Lord, how long will you wait? That's okay. You are in good company if you're crying out, how long, how long? But today as we come, we recognize that we come under, in submission to Jesus. As we symbolically take his bread and, his, and the cup of his blood and we ingest it and we ask Jesus, would you be in us? And so as we come today, use this as a time of reflection to come up, take the elements, go back to your seat and wait and we'll all eat them together. So let's pray and we'll start this. Father, we love you. We know that your teaching, Jesus, is counterintuitive to us. And so we ask that you would help us as we come now. Amen. Come as you're ready.